Welcome to the Book of Mormon podcast, where it's all about uncovering questions, thoughts, and discoveries in your own personal Book of Mormon study. I know it seems crazy, but for over four years, I've been writing out the Book of Mormon, word for word, sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph. It's amazing what we can learn when we slow down and give space for personal revelation and insights beyond our normal reading pace. I'm Susan Gardner, a convert, a cyclist, and a Zuma to eight amazing grandkids. Come with me as we unveil new perspectives and understanding as I continue to write out the Book of Mormon. Hello, everybody. I'm your host, Susan Gardner, and you're listening to Writing the Book of Mormon podcast, episode four. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the importance of words. Words we read in the scriptures are there for a purpose. I mean, think about it. Was it an easy task to put them there in the first place? In Jacob 4, verse 1, it tells us, Now behold, it came to pass that I, Jacob, having ministered much unto my people in word, and I cannot write but a little of my words because of the difficulty of engraving our words upon plates. And we know that the things which we write upon the plates must remain. Also in Ether 12, verse 24, it tells us, and thou hast made us that we could write but little because of the awkwardness of our hands. Just reading these two accounts allude to the fact that making this record was not an easy task. I have to say, I have really come to feel gratitude for this book of scripture and all that went into making it possible for me to have a copy of it. On a personal level, after writing out each word in a sentence page by page, I found it more difficult to ignore the small words I'd normally skip over and not give much thought to. Writing out words one by one helped me to better appreciate how each word held a valued space in the sentence. Words like, again, all, behold, exceedingly, expedient, great, many, much, and more, to name just a few. Although they may seem ordinary, I have learned they each were placed in the sentence with thought and purpose. In an earlier podcast, we talked about the importance of asking questions. I found asking questions about the words we read helps bring clarity to the intent of the writer. Two questions I have found helpful are, What does this word mean? And, Why was this word used here? There are many, many words in the scriptures that I love, but for today, we're just going to talk about three. The three words are behold, waxed, and nevertheless. Let's get started. First, I'll ask you a question. How many times have you read the word behold while reading the scriptures? For me, I've read it so many times, I've caught myself skimming over that word just to get to the next word. But did you know The word behold is said over 1,635 times in the Book of Mormon. A lot, right? With that many beholds written in the book, seems like we'd better start paying better attention. Back to our questions. What does behold mean? You might be thinking, good grief, Susan, we know what behold means. Get, Get on with it, girl. I know, you know, but I'm going to suggest something anyway. The thing I'm going to suggest is, Don't be afraid to look up a word for its definition, even if you think you already know what it means. I found doing this 
sometimes brought a new perspective about a word I thought I already knew. It's quite eye-opening, really. Try it. You'll see what I mean. Anyway, back to the word behold. We all know what behold means. It means to look or to see, right? Now for the second question. Why was the word used here? I have found oftentimes the word behold is used in the sentence to reiterate something already said or to add extra emphasis to what's going to be said. Now when I see the word behold, I do two things. First I tell myself to look, listen, or pay attention. And then I remind myself to get ready because something's probably going to be said that is especially important. Here's an example of what I mean. In 2 Nephi chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, Lehi is given a blessing to his son Jacob. It's a great blessing. I believe because I read this blessing slower than I usually did, the feelings surrounding that dad and his son during that blessing became particularly touching to me. Lehi says, And now, Jacob, I speak unto you. Thou art my firstborn in the days of my tribulation in the wilderness. And behold, in thy childhood thou hast suffered afflictions and much sorrow because of the rudeness of thy brethren. So much wonderful in this short verse. I give it some thought, and as I thought about it, I noticed a few things. First, Lehi mentions that this particular time in the wilderness during Jacob's childhood wasn't so good, but even though it was a rough time for him, he was blessed with a new baby boy. Then he says, Behold, I gear myself up. Now I need to pay attention close. He's about to say something important. He says, In thy childhood thou hast suffered afflictions and much sorrow because of the rudeness of thy brethren. Now, here's where I would normally get distracted and instantly go to the meat of the sentence and focus on those pesky brothers. Oh, gosh darn those brothers bringing afflictions and sorrow to young Jacob. Instead of getting distracted, I was forced to slow down because I was writing. Because I was writing, I was able to focus on what was going to be said. As I did this, I found a tender message from a father to his son that otherwise I hadn't noticed before. Again, it starts with the word behold. I'll try my best here to put into words a thought and a feeling in my heart I had when I wrote out that small part of the blessing. This is how I heard Lehi talking to his son during that blessing. My sweet son Jacob, look, I've had very rough days in the wilderness. In fact, I'll never forget, during one of those most difficult days, God sent you to us, and that brought such joy. Listen, my son, I understand about pain and sorrow. Because of how you've been treated by your brothers, I know you've suffered too. Imagine hearing the voice of your father or someone you respect and appreciate tenderly expressing his awareness of your life experience and acknowledging your struggles. What comfort that would bring knowing you are understood and your hard times are validated. Now I want you to listen to verse 2. And I'm going to ask you a question. What do you hear Lehi tell Jacob in the next verse? Verse 2 says, Nevertheless, gosh, I love that word nevertheless, but I won't get into that right now. I'll get back to that in a minute. 
Nevertheless, Jacob, my firstborn in the wilderness, thou knowest the greatness of God, and he shall consecrate thine afflictions for thy gain. As I think about Lehi's words to his son, what I hear Lehi saying essentially is this, Jacob, you were born in the most difficult times. You know God's amazing. He's going to make sure everything you've gone through will work out for your good. I realized as I give space for the Spirit to help me appreciate the words that were used in that blessing, I could better feel the love and encouragement surrounding a father and his son. Another helpful question we might ask ourselves is why was this part of Lehi's blessing to Jacob included in the Book of Mormon? What is the message he wants us to hear? Well, here's what I got out of it. This is what I think was, why I think it was included. I believe the Lord knows we'll all have troubles and difficult situations to live through during mortality. Like Jacob's earthly father, we all have a heavenly father who knows and understands us in ways that only a loving and an aware parent could. That heavenly parent wants us to know any hardship we experience now will not be for nothing. Rather, it will be turned into something we will benefit from later. While preparing this podcast, I looked up some quotes from people that have expressed their ideas of the importance of words. There are lots of good ones, but here's one I found particularly I liked. He says, Words do two major things. They provide food for the mind and create light for understanding and awareness. There's such value in that quote, isn't there? Food, light, and awareness and understanding for the mind. That quote describes perfectly, you know, like when you're reading a book and the letters are put together so well, they form words and become sentences that become like a birth for emotions often too difficult to express. Gosh, I love that when that happens. Anyway, the next word I'd like to talk about is waxed or wax. First of all, what does the word mean? What does waxed mean? I love this word because I have learned it depicts a passage of time. Let me explain how I came to understand that. When I see the word waxed, I think of a candle. Early history shows that when candles were made, two of the basic supplies needed included a wick and melted wax. To make a candle, you dip the wicks, wick into the wax, <laughs> lift it up out of the wax, then waited for the wax to cool and harden on the wick, and then dipped it again. You would continue this process until the candle was the desired size. Dipping or waxing a candle took time, one dip after the other. Why was this word used? When we read in the scripture sentences like, they wax strong, whether in righteousness or wickedness, it's important to remember that this was a process. Learning this helped me to see how change can be gradual. It took time. It wasn't something that happened overnight. Now, because I understood the process of making a wax candle, knowing this helped me to see how the word was used in the scriptures. The last word I like to talk about is nevertheless. Did you know that one source I found points out the word nevertheless is found 177 times in the Book of Mormon? Anybody that knows me knows that I love this word. I gave a presentation once at a woman's retreat 
and even had buttons made with the word nevertheless on them to hand out. So let's continue our pattern and ask our questions. What does this word mean? When I see the word nevertheless, I think of similar words like still, yet, notwithstanding, nonetheless, or regardless. An example of how this great word is used is found in Helam in chapter 3, verse 14. This verse gives a good idea of this current situation in which Helaman lives. The list of descriptions that illustrate that time include words like wars, contentions, and dissensions, preaching and prophecies, shipping and building of ships, building of temples, synagogues, and sanctuaries, righteousness and wickedness. Kind of sounds like the world we live in today, doesn't it? Now, the nevertheless verse, and we'll find that one in verse 20. Nevertheless, Helaman did fill the judgment seat with justice and equity. Yea, he did observe to keep the statutes and the judgments and the commandments of God. And he did do that which was right in the sight of God continually. And he did walk after the ways of his father, insomuch that he did prosper in the land. And I'm going to add verse 21 as well, since we're here. And it came to pass that he had two sons. He gave unto the eldest the name of Nephi and unto the youngest the name Lehi. And they began to grow up unto the Lord. Now to answer the question, why was this put here? When I read this verse, the word nevertheless in the first sentence conveys to me, we can do the right thing during a hard time. We can see Helaman lived in a very oppressive and turbulent time, yet he filled the judgment seat with justice and equity. Also, not only did he fill the judgment seat well, but he was also raising a family unto the Lord, as we read in verse 21. This was during the same oppressive and turbulent time. That's why I love the word nevertheless. It is an encouraging and hopeful word that says to me, it doesn't matter what's going on around you, look to me and live. There's one last example I'd like to share. I remember having a most profound experience as I wrote out this word nevertheless. It has stuck with me ever since. It happened when I was writing out 1 Nephi chapter 13. As a review, Nephi had inquired of the Lord about his father's dream and wanted to know the interpretation of it. During this particular part of the vision, he was being taught about a book. The background of this book is given. We learn that this book proceeded out of the mouth of a Jew. It is of great worth and contain the fullness of the gospel of the Lord until it is given to the Gentiles. In the next three verses, the message is given repeatedly that the plain and precious truths that this very important book once contained had been taken away. It repeats this information at least four times in a short period. In fact, the frosting on this delicious but rather unbaked cake is found in the last verse. That's verse 29. It says, insomuch that Satan hath great power over them, unquote. I remember writing out those verses. It was pretty depressing. By the time I reached the end, I was pretty bummed out. Oh, I remember thinking, if I have to write that message that the plain and precious truths have been taken away one more time, it was awful. But then I came across verse 30 and put the pen to the paper and wrote, Nevertheless. 
thou beholdest that the Gentiles who have gone forth out of captivity have been lifted up by the power of God. I stopped writing. That word, nevertheless, jumped off the page and into my heart. Gentiles have been lifted up by the power of God. I stared at that word and I thought, after all the writing of repeated bad news, nevertheless, the Gentiles were lifted up by the power of God. There was the good news. Nevertheless, let's ask the question, what does that word mean? Still, yet, notwithstanding, nonetheless, or regardless, even though this book wasn't complete, it wasn't perfect, nevertheless, by the power of God, they were lifted up. What a relief that was. Yes, Satan has great power, but even so, God has the last word. Then I thought about that book. Not perfect, flawed and missing a lot of good parts, but still what a tremendous positive influence. What a force for great good. Millions have been brought to Christ because of that wonderful book. Then the Spirit whispered, You are like that book. Could that be why that word, nevertheless, was put here? I believe it was put there for me at that moment. I was taught right then, I was like that book, not perfect, very flawed, and missing a lot of good parts. Nevertheless, God can lift me by his power too. I can be a tremendous positive influence, a force for great good. You know what? You might look around and see that things aren't perfect. Things are hard, but no matter what, God is steadfast. Nevertheless, God is in control. Behold, waxed, and nevertheless are just a few of the many great words we find in the scriptures. Words that are used are so important. We need to seriously give space to those words so that we can be taught the what and why about them and the purpose they were placed where they were placed. I'd like to close with another wonderful quote. This one is by a novelist regarded as one of the greatest novelists to write in the English language. Which is interesting because this author's first spoken language was not English. His name was Joseph Conrad. He says, My task, which I am trying to achieve, is by the power of the written word to make you hear, to make you feel. It is before all to make you see. When we give appropriate weight and honor to the words we read in the scriptures, we are better prepared to be taught by the Spirit and see what God would have us see. Until next week, it's not important to discover it first. It's more important to discover it for yourself. Slow pace, give space. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend who also loves the Book of Mormon. And if you're on Facebook, be sure to like our page and join our community. You type in writing the Book of Mormon dash discussion group. This will keep you up to date and current with new topics and conversations surrounding our study. I do appreciate you and I hope you have an amazing day.